Three, two, one. Hi, my name is Noah Gift, and I'm going to talk to Piero Molino about Ludwig and Predibase today. It's going to be a very interesting conversation on declarative ML. Okay, go ahead and enjoy. And maybe before you begin, I could just ask a couple questions. Sounds if good. It's okay. So, so one of the, the questions, uh, if I'm just remembering our, our initial conversation that you had, if and correct me if it's if it's incorrect, but w I remember you had just left potentially Uber, and you had been working on a tool to do declarative AutoML, and I and I think I remember you saying that one of the things that you're very interested in is this idea of of democratizing the AutoML process so that it doesn't necessarily belong to some you know, a uh, huge entity, right? Which, uh, you know, I think if, if I remember correctly, I think is a very interesting goal. Is that still something you're interested in for, for Ludwig? Yeah, absolutely. I would say between, between Ludwig and Pridebase, which is you know, the company that, that recently started, um, I would say the goal is still uh, the same, you know, to try to, so I think the word democratize is a little bit overused to a certain extent. So I would say, my goal is to make it possible for more people to be able to, to do machine learning, either from the perspective of um, training models, but also from the perspective of consuming models and using models in a form and place that makes sense for a bigger um, uh, audience of, of potential users. And so you can imagine that um, even uh, just querying an API um, still requires some uh, amount of technical knowledge and knowing and understanding the formats of the inputs and the outputs and all of those things is still like a barrier of entry for people that maybe, I don't know, maybe they're using a BI tool or something like that. So even just the little connection is still pretty difficult. And I don't claim that, you know, we are all the way there, but that's the, um, let's say, end goal and the North Star that we're trying to, to, to aim towards, right? And and with the with Ludwig, would you say that you're, in a sense, adding an alternative for someone who, let's say, doesn't want to use, uh, like a kind of a big tech company like um, Google, Facebook, Microsoft, you, you know, like maybe they for whatever reason. They, they want to keep things. Let's actually take Duke for a good example. So let's say, mm -hmm. let's just do a hypothetical and say that Duke Health, uh, which is worldwide, one of the, the better hospitals uh, and has very interesting research and very well-renowned rena hospital. They have um, proprietary data sets. They have maybe customer agreements and all kinds of really tricky things <laughs> to deal with. Uh, and let's say that, they 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 just for whatever reason they can't get to the cloud, mm -hmm. but they wanted to to do to do AutoML and maybe an anesthesiologist or a cancer researcher. They have like incredible data that maybe no one else in the world has. Would that be you know a scenario where where Ludwig could could play a role? I would say definitely for Ludwig in particular. Um, you know. Um, um, definitely could be helpful for those people that have their own data and they cannot like 
share it or put it somewhere and they can definitely run their own uh, AutoML capabilities with Ludwig on their data, on their machines without, you know, without blockers really, right? So that's that's definitely something that could help. Um, and in particular, the kind of persona, if you want, that I imagine for Ludwig specifically um, could be a good user is like someone who, um, um, maybe someone who may not want or have the um, deep knowledge for being able to write their own um, deep learning model, but may want to do something uh, valuable with images, text, and the combination of multimodal data, um, which is something that usually, you know, like, um, um, AutoML solutions do not support. Most AutoML solutions usually support just tabular data. And so um, if you want to, do, to use, you know, um, this kind of ad additional modalities, definitely Ludwig uh, can help and do AutoML, uh, to do AutoML on these modalities uh, without leaving the, um, the the uh, the infrastructure that you are that, that you are in right so that's that's definitely uh, a really good uh, example what you mentioned of a potential mm -hmm. case yeah that's that's interesting and maybe i'll i'll uh, i'll i'll spread spread the word to some of the people in in the duke health industry because there there's it's staggering actually how much um stuff is happening and I, from what i gather it's just ex even if they wanted to it's extremely complicated for logistical and and legal reasons to to even you know move forward. But if they are able to use a tool like this, and it see it seems like that those kind of you know it's hard it's hard to to sometimes find the right persona for for, for some some open source solutions. But this seems like the one, <laughs> and it seems like there's other organizations that could have the same one yeah 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 definitely we have you know been um interacting with several organizations and we we are seeing that you know it seems like it's a it's a, it's a common problem right so something that is beyond the single organization and the, and potentially there's a market for it and that's the reason why we actually ended up starting the company around it, right and then and then i'm assuming let's say that um there let's say that some some cancer researchers that again have proprietary data they they start to use ludwig and then they um you know get really good results with it and then for whatever reason they they start to get some of the the tangled legal things solved and then they also are making so much progress with it then they they want some support and they want to use a commercial tool is is that then the pathway that you would suggest where they would then use your your company yeah so what we're doing at predibase is uh, certainly that so adding you know additional um support and mostly enterprise uh, style features to um on top of ludwig that makes it possible for on one hand make it very easy to manage it to you know connect with data to, to um, productionize it and use it for deployment and using it in real world use cases. So all of those things are you know, taken care of. Um, at the same time, there's also some additional functionalities that we believe are particularly um, potentially useful that are kind of unique to the, um, to the you know, what we're building in Pridebase as a platform as opposed to Ludwig. So it's not one-on-one -on -one, like 
managed Ludwig, but it's like managed Ludwig plus additional things. And maybe later I can I can show you some little examples of, of what I mean by that. But um, that that's probably the best way to think about it. Great. Yeah. So I uh, that that to me was was th those are two of the or or I don't know how many questions I asked, but th those were <laughs> some of the big ones that I was I was interested in, and hopefully I can evangelize this and get some some people at, at Duke to to engage. That that, would, that sounds amazing, and again, super super happy to 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 have this connection, right? Great. So, um, no. How how do you think? It, what, what do you think is the best way uh, for um, for moving forward? I have a presentation if that's useful. And yeah, we we could. Yeah, I, I can I can make it so that you can do anything you want. Go go ahead and share anything you'd like. And um, you know, I'm happy to make it you know, as interactive as you want, right? So, um, you know, feel free to stop me at any moment in time. And also, there could be some some slides that I have a lot of slides, a lot of content. Uh, usually don't use all of it. Some I skip on on some of them, but um, because I usually want to try to get like the, the to the gist of it, I would say sure. to the, the highest value pieces. But if at any moment in time there's things that you want to double click on, I'm super happy to to you know to dive deeper into them. Right? Yeah. So so maybe I'll just if something I feel like there'll be a point where it could add some value to 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 dig into it a little bit I'll, I'll 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 interrupt you perfect perfect sounds great then so let me start sharing my screen all right i think i think you should be able to see to see it yes um cool so let's talk about ludwig and you know for, for context, again, you, you have already looked at it in detail, so it may be uh, the, the beginning of, of this presentation is a little bit redundant, but you know, just for setting the context, it is a declarative deep learning framework. And um, I'm gonna talk in a second what I mean by that. And it's backed by the Linux uh, Foundation, in particular the AI and data um, sub-organization of the Linux Foundation, which I'm really grateful for. And it's like open source, um, an open source project under Apache license too, so people can use it without any, any issue for all, all their use cases. And the idea um, of uh, declarative deep learning system, machine learning systems in general, is that uh, we believe that there's kind of a false dichotomy between two kind of uh, approaches to um, dealing with machine learning in many organizations. On one hand, you have people building um, like machine learning infrastructure on your own, like a do-it-yourself approach. It usually uses low-level APIs. And on the other hand, you have the other extreme, which is the HTML solution that kind of does everything for you to a certain extent, right? Um, we believe that, you know, the cloud machine learning systems could be a good intersection, uh, could be at the intersection of these two approaches and basically bring the best of both worlds. Because on one hand, you can have um, the flexibility of a do-it-yourself approach with the simplicity of an HTML solution. And so um, without actually the downsides of both, because on one hand, you have the downside of um, having to um, build bespoke solution for all your machine learning problems. And that is costly and inefficient as an approach, as, as, a, as a process. And on the other hand, on HTML solution, uh, you have like the black box um, results of like, you know, uh, once you get the model out of it, it's either good or bad, but um, you cannot do much more with it after, after that, right? And so we want to, you know, um, Avoid this both 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 kind of um, uh, bad scenarios and bring the best of both approaches, 
And the goal is to eventually get to the point where non-experts or at least less experts users can do uh, machine learning. So, so quick question on this. So the low-level API, would you would you describe that as, let's say, someone automating um, SageMaker? I would say even, even lower than that, like someone building their own TensorFlow or, or PyTorch code um, for each new problem that comes to them. Ah, I see. That would be, and, and then, you know, having potentially to stitch with many different tools and stitching it with a model monitoring tool and then stitching it with a model deployment tool and then stitching it with an um, um, explanation tool and all of that, right? So, so, so basically they, they, you know, import TensorFlow as TF and just start building. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I would say in this case, you import Ludwig as, yeah. as, as something and you don't have to write all that low-level code and you don't have to do um, model monitoring by hand and you don't have to do all these things because they are already there available for you and connected. Not all the pieces are there, but many of those pieces are there and I actually can you know, go into details of which pieces are there, which ones are not. But it, it simplifies, it's a higher level abstraction if you want, right? Got it. And you know, when I, when I developed this originally when I was at, at Uber, it showed like that, um, Internal teams, even teams of engineers, for instance, were able to um, create models and get them into production very fast, even without having to go to like data science experts. Um, and um, also there was a system called Overton that was created by um, Chris Ray, one of our co-founders, professor at Stanford, and uh, he was at Apple when he created it. And it was really, really useful within Apple to um, decrease the time to value of most machine learning products. So is Overton then um, included in CreateML? In CreateML? Um, you mean yeah. the Apple? So I honestly, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I don't think so. I believe that Overton is like an internal system at Apple. Uh, um, and it is exposed to the um, users of machine learning through the uh, Apple APIs. But... I wasn't directly involved with it, so I, I, I'm, you know, I, I, my information may not be like super correct, really. So, so, so it's, it's more of a systems, like the Overton is a, like a systems level tool that is, you know, you know, like it's embedded inside of Apple's data center or something, you know. And, I believe so. Yeah, I believe. Okay. And I believe that it, it it can output models in a format that then is digestible and usable by you know the um, Apple APIs also on the phone or, or whatever. Like the create the CoreML model. Exactly, exactly. I believe that it, it outputs models also in, in a compatible format with that. But again, the ideas between Ludwig and Overton were really, really similar. And so that's why we created that paper that was kind of um, showing showcasing both of them, I would say, at the same time. And so just to give an idea of what does it mean to actually talk about a declarative machine learning system, um, Ludwig specifically has this declarative interface that um, allows to train deep learning models now on PyTorch. We, did this, um, we changed the, the backend from TensorFlow to PyTorch with the most recent release. And so you basically you can declare um, a configuration that uh, allows you to train and deploy um, um, model pipeline uh, without actually to write the low-level machine learning code for that. And this is like a kind of analogous, if you want, to what you could do with like, you know, like what Kubernetes does for infrastructure, if you want, to a certain extent. Well, with Helm charts and things like that, more than anything else. 
uh, to like do that for for machine learning. And so um, for starting, um, you have like a configuration where you just have to specify the inputs and the outputs. Um, so the inputs and the targets, if you want, of your machine learning uh, pipeline and their data type. And Ludwig, depending on the data type, will assemble a model um, and train a model and also make it possible to deploy a model for that task. And so, um, you know, this is an example of how to train, for instance, an intent classification uh, model where you have some text as input and a category as output. And so this reduces, in some cases, the time of development from potentially months to days. You don't have to write the level of machine learning code and it's readable and reproducible. At the same time, it retains the level of control that an expert may need because uh, this configuration system is very, very rich and you can go there and change um, the models, the upper parameter of the architecture of the models, the uh, pre-processing parameters, the training parameters. And so it's kind of complexity uh, that is hidden from you, but is available on demand. And because each single of these um, uh, parameters is basically a, a string in a configuration file instead of having to be implemented really, uh, it's really easy to iterate and improve. So you can write a model and then change it. You see that it overfits. And so you can say, well, drop increase like uh, the value of the dropout to a higher level and then train again. It's just one line of configuration difference. And it's also extensible. Um, don't know if we want to get into the, those details. I have a slide about it later, but um, you can add your own uh, components to it. Like for instance, a Python class with a specific interface that you have to respect, give it a name and then you can use it in the configuration. So for instance, you want to have another encoder, which is not BERT, and you can you know, write your own encoder, call it with a specific name, and then it becomes available in the configuration for everybody else. So you don't have to reinvent the wheel every single time. And finally, there's like advanced functionalities like upper parameter search, state-of-the-art models ready baked in, distributed training. All those things are configured in the configuration. We don't have to do anything really other than specifying that you want those things to happen. Cool. All right. So moving forward, some uh, these are some statistics not super updated. Actually, the, the numbers have increased recently. So the, the, uh, every single time that I show this slide is like at least a month old. So it, numbers change every single time. But you know, it's it's a uh, well uh, adopted and 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 starred project on 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 GitHub with several downloads and many contributors. So it's a pretty active project, and has been you know used in production by many companies. Uh, these are a subset of them, con uh, people contributing to it from many universities and also integrations with a few, um, you know, uh, MLOps um, projects. And okay, let, let's actually get down to it. Um, I want to show you like a quick example to make, to, to make clear what it looks like to develop a, a, a simple model with Ludwig. And let's assume that our example is we want to do text certification of news. And so we have two columns in a data set. One is news and the other one is, is, is a class. And if you want to train a model using Ludwig for that, what you actually end up doing is you can run this command, Ludwig experiment, specify the data set and specify the configuration. And here the configuration, we, we will get in much more detail on the configuration, but you can see that it's provided as a string, but also be provided as a YAML file. And the, the content here is a dictionary with a couple keys. One is input features, one is output features. And both are lists, and each entries of those lists are specification of those features. In this case, name news, which is the name of the column in the data set that contains the data, um, and then type text. Uh, type is super important because depending on the type, different things um, uh, happen behind the scenes, and I will show you in a second. So what this command does basically splits the data, but you can also provide the splits already if you want. 
transitional training set, validating validation set, and prediction on the test set. And the way it looks like, like after an epoch, you get like this nice table with some um, metrics and results. Then after a few epochs, this gets better. After a few epochs, it doesn't improve anymore. And so there's early stopping that happens. And so you can see then at the end evaluation on the um, um, evaluation metrics on the uh, target and both at the global level and the specific level for each class in this case, because of the multi-class classification problem. So this is just a quick example, but um, gives you a general idea and um, the powerful um, aspect of Ludwig that you can specify different types of input data, different types of output data that define different tasks. And we will get into it in a second. And so if you want to do it uh, programmatically though, there's also a Python uh, API, you just do install, um, pip install Ludwig, and then you, know, you import Ludwig model from Ludwig API, you provide it the configuration, you call train, and then you can save it or then load it back if you want, and then call predict to obtain the prediction. It's as simple as that. You do basically deep learning in three lines of code. And if you want to serve the model, you can just call Ludwig serve and the path to the model that you have trained. And are you behind the scenes, is that using fast API? Uh, yes, this one is using fast API. Yes. Spawns like a REST API with fast API and, you know, directs and does the data, the slight data transformation from the JSON, um, uh, payload that you will send to, to, um, to the rest endpoint the and then provide the, the answers back. And do you see that? Like I, I've, I've been talking to a few people about this concept of model serving mm -hmm. and it does seem like there's a big opportunity for there to be a specialized web framework for model serving? Have, have you heard much about what's happening in that space? Um, so my take, uh, at least for, for what is my experience directly with Ludwig is that the, um, so the, this fast API thing uh, is actually something that some people are using in production. Although I wouldn't advertise it as a production um, ideal uh, case, uh, because basically every single time that you call uh, Ludwig serve, it spawns like a, a Python interpreter that, um, uh, and some data pre-processing and some data transformation happens in Python. And it's not the most efficient way of using your resources really. So we actually, you know, look, Ludwig also allows you to export models to more compiled, you know, um, uh, formats, like I was mentioning TorchScript. And so we see that as a more scalable uh, way of deploying models. So you export to TorchScript and then you use like uh, mechanisms specific, um, specifically designed for serving those compiled models and that reduces your, your costs dramatically. Um, I'm not, so if, you, if you're talking about like a specific open source project for serving generically any kind of model, um, I would, take it with some skepticism, just because every um, library has its own slightly different way of packaging the models. And there would, you know, there will be a lot of work that will need to be done to um, make every single library output model format uh, run efficiently. And also I think in general, serving things in Python, it's not um, the best idea. And in most organizations that um, that where they're serving like potentially hundreds or thousands of models, that's usually something that they try to avoid entirely because again, uh, it, they use too much resources. Um, so that, that's the way I think. Yes. Yeah, so, so, it, so it maybe is um, something too where 
like uh, way back in the day when I was in startups in San Francisco, we, mm-hmm. we, we definitely had experienced that with, with, you don't want to do a, build a server in Python. That's the worst possible thing you could build if you're making money off of a SaaS product. I mean, there's exactly. just, it's just bad. Right. But, but what is interesting is containers and serverless have a little bit changed that though. So it's not the, that, that can potentially be one solution for that is if if there's uh, something that's that's containerized then the the inefficiency is 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 kind of potentially diminished but i guess to your other point though about the 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 more of the generic model format that that also seems interesting just from i guess what I, the reason i'm asking all this is that there's another company that i'm advising that mm-hmm. does models they do some of some some things that are that are more like model serving like there's a framework called um, ml run i don't know if you've heard of it and then uh, they also have um nucleo like this thing that can do kubernetes based and i and i was actually talking to them i said you know it seems like there's a very big opportunity for model serving and and so you know i don't disagree with you that like the python is maybe the worst solution for it but from an open source perspective it does seem like we're in a new era where I, I, I'm just guessing in like two years, there, there's got to be some tool that's like a fast API tool, mm-hmm. but it's just for models. Right, right, right. So if I look at the open source stuff, I think for me, the most promising in this space, again, I'm not super, super expert on the model serving, like I don't know all of them, honestly, but the one that seems promising for me is actually Triton from NVIDIA. Um, mm. It has some interesting features, in particular, automatically uh, automatic batching, and um, uh, seems very, very efficient, and does things mostly at the C level. Um, so, you know, that is probably my, my my favorite at the moment. I would say I, I, this is can, can be revised. Like my 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 opinion here can be revised, but uh, yeah. Um, and by the way, just to replicate the example before, like if you wanted to create like that sentence, in this case, it's like a sentiment classification model, but uh, again, it's the same concept of the intent classification or the, the news classification. You can see here, like this is like literally the end-to-end code that you have to write for um, for training and predicting uh, on, on a new data point, right? Yeah, so this is nice. This is very nice. It's, it's very, very simple. <laughs> Trying to make it as simple as possible, really. Cool. So this is like the general uh, gist of it, but I wanted to go a little bit more into the details. And in particular, you know, the details is basically how does the configuration system work? That's that's the uh, that that's that, that, that's the core of it. And uh, there are many many functionalities, but I will probably uh, fly over them and stop me if you think that there's something that is particularly valuable to to double click on. So just in general, the training part works in a really you know simple way. You provide the data. There's some pre-processing. And uh, the preprocessing creates some feature mappings and also the preprocess data itself that is provided to the model that then saves weights and hyperparameters. At prediction time, you take some new data, you use the same feature mappings for transforming data in the same um, preprocessed format uh, that, you know, uh, to make sure that, you know, uh, training and, and test actually align. And then you load the weights and hyperparameters. Um, the model with this preprocessed data produces some predictions and scores that are then mapped back into uh, the data space with final predictions using, again, the mappings that you obtained before. So, for instance, one of those mappings could be, for instance, vocabulary for categorical features. Uh, the preprocessing transforms 
a string into an integer. The integer is used by the model to learn an embedding, for instance. And then uh, when the model predicts a class and it's like, uh, again, an integer, then it's mapped back into the string of that class. That is the um, actual value that was provided at the beginning as an input. And when you're, and when you're doing the, when you're building things from raw data, is there a, an assumed limit to the size of the data that you can use? Um, so this is actually something that I will touch upon later, but I will say the uh, very first version of Ludwig relied on pandas for doing uh, data transformation. And so the limit was basically the limit of the memory of the machine. Uh, although right now uh, we have um, uh, two different backends. One is like we call local backend, the other one is called remote backend. And the remote backend uses Dask and Ray. So basically um, anything that you can process on a cluster of machines, that's the um, limit, which is, you know, we have trained models on, on petabytes of data. So um, I would say it, we, we haven't encountered the limit yet. <laughs> there is a limit for sure, like for everything, but. Uh, so, so you could, with, with the current version of Ludwig, then you could basically just say, hey, I want to use Dask. And it's just like a one-line config or something yeah, like that. Yeah, we'll show you. Basically, it's, uh, I want to use the uh, remote backend. That, ah. That's the way you specify okay. it. And then, you know, we have to pass the data as like, for instance, S3 buckets or things like that, just because, you know, all the machines and all the cluster need to have access to it, right? And so that's, that's, that's the caveat. But, you know, obviously, if you are in a distributed system, you need to have um, or the data available somewhere, right? Where do you think are like the, the limitations or what would be one thing where, you know, it's not a good use case where mm -hmm. a company can use Ludwig? Yeah, so we say, um, and I will get to it, but uh, there's two aspects. One is that it's right now, it's mostly useful for um, supervised training. So if you want to do other kinds of training right now, it's not particularly designed for those. Although we want to have in particular sub-supervision capabilities, uh, probably just clustering and things like that. There's already other tools that do that. Again, we don't want to reinvent the wheel. We have, we're really pragmatic in that sense. And the other aspect is, uh, the tasks that are supported depend on the types of the outputs. And so for some types, uh, for some, you know, uh, um, outputs, we have different types and we can do perform some tasks. Others are missing. They could be added, but they're not there yet. Like for instance, um, we would want to have a, an output type, which is bounding boxes for doing um, um, image, uh, the detection in images, but right now it's not available. I think adding one will be relatively easy, but right now it's not supported. And so I will, I will show you the ones that are supported right now. Um, and so, yeah, actually let's get under the hood. And so I think the, the, the magic of the value of it lies in the data type configuration, the data type abstraction that I'm gonna show you in a second, and a smart use of KVRGs, which if you're familiar with Python is a mechanism for passing parameters as a dictionary and mapping it into the, um, named parameters of, um, of, of a function uh, within Python. And that makes it for a very flexible mapping from the configuration to directly to the um, implementation uh, functions, uh, objects and functions in the code. And so if you go back to the example, basically the configuration is this piece that I'm lighting here. And what happens is that it actually overrides some defaults uh, of the configuration. And it looks like this, which seems uh, complicated, but it's actually, divided in five, it's actually not, not super complicated. It actually makes uh, sense now that I'm gonna cover it. It's divided in five different sections and there's input features and output features, which we've already seen an example of. Uh, there's also a section called combiner, training and pre-processing that I'm gonna cover in a second. But why do you need this input, combiner and output? 
It is because the underlying architecture is, we're calling it ECD, encoder, combiner, decoder, and basically allows you to do um, uh, uh, multimodal and multitask learning um, really easily on multiple uh, data types. So we support many data types like text, category, number, binary, sequence, vector, set, bag, image, time series, audience speech, H3, which is like a um, spatial indexing uh, system and date. And also on the output side, uh, you know, we support text generation, category, which means multi-class classification, number, which means regression, binary, binary classification, sequence, which is like sequential decision-making, vector, which means we predict an entire vector, and set, which allows to do uh, multi-label classification. And the other ones, and we may want to add, are not there yet, but, you know, they will be there. So for instance, we don't support image segmentation at the moment, and we don't support um, object detection at the moment because they are not output data types to support it but they will be added. And so in the end, by combining inputs and outputs, you can support many use cases. So text input category output is text identification, and we've seen an example of that. But if you have images input a text as output, you can train an image captioning system. If you have category number and binaries input and uh, number as output, then you can do like some classic regression tasks, or you have audio and binary as output, you can do speaker verification. Uh, if you have text and images input and binary as output, you can do visual question answering where you have an image and some text ask, asking a question about the image. And, you know, you the answer is yes or no. Maybe it could be categorical to say what is the um, answer among a set of answers. So, you know, what I want to um, convey here is that depending on the combination of inputs and outputs, you can do many, many different machine learning tasks all at once without the need to implement anything specific for each of them. Moreover, for each input type and for each output type, you can have different encoders and different uh, decoders. So just to make an example, for text, there is like you can choose to use a stacked CNN, a parallel CNN, a stacked parallel CNN, an RNN, a CNN, or a transformer. And there's also um, you know, pre-trained models in, um, available for you. And basically, all you have to specify is the name, the type, and if you want to use a specific encoder, the name of that encoder. There's a bunch of parameters you can provide and those all, all have defaults, and you can override them if you want. Uh, but you don't have to specify them if you don't want to. And so this maps the KVR things 101 with the init function of the object implementing that encoder in the code base. And you can see that the parameters are exactly the same. So um, if you can add very easily a new encoder, give it a name, and set some parameters, and that those will be available from the configuration. And so if you want to use an RNN, you just have to change the encoder keyword from parallel CNN to RNN, and that, that's all you have to do. And the same is for a transformer. You specify, I want to use a transformer, and that's it. And again, you can change the number of layers, the hidden sides, and all you want. And also, you can use pre-trained models. Like, for instance, in this case, if you specify you want to have a text input, and you can specify you want to use BERT, distilled BERT, T5, Roberta. We basically import the again phase transformers. So whatever is available there is available also in Ludwig. Uh, so do, do you need to have a Hugging Face account or or no, just? No, no, these are just the ones that are available in the open source. So. Got it, got it. And so would that was actually your, your time going into a section I was actually very curious about, which is could you see a scenario where something like Ludwig could, could be basically like a factory that would feed Hugging Face and, and receive from Hugging Face? So what I mean by that is that, in the let's go back to an example where there there are people that are maybe social scientists and they're mm -hmm. they're just not strong at software engineering 
but they have really incredible data mm-hmm. and they want to, let's say, upload, I don't know, a hundred models a week to TensorFlow, to um, Hugging Face. Mm-hmm. Could 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 you see like uh, Ludwig be, becoming like a, a tool where you could just start pumping models into into a location like that? Or, or, or is that a little outside of the scope of, of something someone would do? I think you could. I think you could. And um, I think there are something specific about the um, Ludwig models that would warrant potentially something specific for Ludwig in particular, the fact that if I train a model with like five input features, uh, some of text, some are images, and then there's uh, two outputs or something like that, then I may want to import just, you know, one component from that model, one subcomponent from that model, instead of importing all of it in, in entirely. And so if I uploaded it as a monolithic object into um, Hugging Face, then it becomes difficult to download just a piece of it because Hugging Face has no notion of the internal structure of the Ludwig model. Um, but you know, other than this caveat, in general, definitely that's, that's something that is feasible. And in general, I would say any model repository doesn't have to be Hugging Face, could be any other model repository. Are, are there are there ones that you would recommend besides Hugging Face? Is there, is this, the, the, it seems like we have, we have a couple really cool things happening. Like one is we just talked about it, the, um, the serving there's, we don't know yet what's going to happen. And then the other one is the model hosting. We don't know. Is there another one besides hugging face? Um, honestly, I'm not super sure about the, uh, capabilities that are needed there. I think in most cases you just need like a, a, a blob storage. storage. Like, yeah, exactly. So like, for instance, if you have a local instance of MLflow, you may get almost the same kind of capabilities. So again, depends on also what they're gonna add to their to their uh, models model um, um, repository kind of um, functionality. But you know, uh, depending on that, it could be more or less useful. I think right now, in most cases, it's just a place to upload them and a place to download them with maybe some search functionalities. Uh, but again, depending on, on the use case and the needs, that, that could be true or false. Well, I, I mean, for, so I'll tell you the way I would like, even though I like to get technical, there's mm-hmm. a part of the just the way I think about the world, which I could see myself spending two, three years never building a machine learning model myself, but mm-hmm. only using pre-trained models. Right, right. Just tweaking, like pulling pieces out and just pulling the parts out that I care and just tuning it a little. Like, exactly. Do you see something like Ludwig could be potentially a tool for that where, where the only thing someone does with it, they don't even use AutoML. They just disassemble huge GPT-3 models or, or whatever and just tweak it and then make yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, again, the example that I had here. Oh, sorry, this is taking too long, sorry. Like the sample that I have here is actually a realistic example. Oops, is a realistic example. So if even if you remove the training part, this is all you have to do to basically train a BERT model. Uh, actually, fine tune a BERT model that is downloaded from from uh, uh, model weights repository and and fine tuned it on your specific tasks. So, so those are literally those seven lines you don't, of configuration you need to do anything else, right? And so if you want to tweak it and let's say change a little bit the dropout or change a little bit, you know, it's just one line additional. So I think that that's a perfect use case. What you're mentioning is a perfect use case. Good. I, I think there's just not a lot of people talking about this. That, <laughs> like, 
but I, I personally find it more interesting than building models. I'm just not that interested in building models, to be honest. <laughs> no, I, I, I agree. And I think uh, it's a matter of commoditizing, right? And, and I think uh, this is, uh, you know, one step towards the commoditization, I believe. So uh, we, we all want to get away from the point of, of building models. And so some, uh, something like this that creates that level of automation and, and simplifies the process, it's, in my opinion, a good step in the direction. So. And um, yeah, and so again, this is was one example for text. There's the same thing applies to sequence and series audio. And also we have different implementations, different models for uh, images with both pre-trained and non-pre-trained models. Um, and the same is true for other, for other features. I don't want to bore you with you know, going through all of them, honestly. I just wanted to, to, to touch one second on the, con uh, on the combiner aspect. Uh, basically, we need this combiner because it's basically uh, if you have multiple features and basically you have all these vectors coming from all these encoders, you need a mechanism for merging them somehow, yeah. combining them somehow. And so here we implement some, um, uh, the most simple one is this concat thing that concatenates the vectors and then uses fully connected layers. But we have also other um, like state-of-the-art models, in particular for tabular data like tablet and tab transformers and others. So it's, again, it's the same concept for the input features, just, you know, configuration, you can change the details, which models you want to use and which uh, parameters, if you want to change the parameters. And again, the same applies also for the outputs um, and different outputs you can specify for each of them, um, uh, the loss and other uh, specific parameters, for instance, number for uh, doing regression, binary for doing binary classification, um, category for doing multi-class classification and you have like many different uh, additional pieces to the law so you can add and tune and change if you need so and set for doing multi-label classification vector for doing uh, usually it's used for like predicting uh, soft labels like prob probability distribution across different labels and sequence can be usable for tagging and for generating tokens one by one in an autoregressive way so for instance generating text or generating uh, sequence of decisions this I'm gonna skip. And then the, the last two sections are the training um, um, part of the configuration where again, you don't have to specify any of this, but if you want, you can change the batch size, the early stopping, the optimizer that you want to use, the learning rate, uh, how the learning rate decay and all of this. You don't have to, you know, just a configuration away. Are you are you using some, like for your defaults, are you using some kind of like Bayesian, you know, optimization to pick Hyperparameters, or, or is so for the defaults, they're just defaults, just values that we figured out um, empirically through experience, and also like getting them from literature, depending on on, on the specifics. But there's an hyperparameter section that I'm gonna talk in a second, where you actually can uh, define how you want to find those those hyperparameters. And then pre-processing wise, you can specify, for instance, depending on the data type, uh, you want to you know pre-process the data, you want to tokenize text, for instance, or you want to encode um, categories, or you want to normalize numerical features. So basically all the common uh, transformations that happen before and after uh, the model, they're also part of the uh, parameters that you can specify. Great, and so usually here I, I show some example models. This is like the first one, the text identification one, the configuration you see on the right is all you need to specify but you can do image classification with just changing the configuration to image path and the type to image and the encoder in this case, for instance, to stack CNN. Or if you want to do speaker verification where you have two files and you want to see if there's the same person speaking or not, 
then you can specify two inputs, say the, the weights are tied uh, with the tied parameter, and then just have a binary output classification. This is an example similar to what I was doing at Uber for expected time of delivery, where you have like a restaurant, an order, and what time that order was made, and you want to predict how much uh, time will it take to deliver that, that order. And you, know, you can treat restaurant as a category input, order as a bag input, hour and minute as numerical inputs, and predicting numerical value, which is the expected time of delivery. And you can change the loss. In this case, we use mean absolute error. You can do sequence to sequence treatment dialog models, or you know you can do sequence tagging for uh, information extraction, or in this case, semantic recognition, or you could use it also for doing natural language understanding or summarization. If you have like outputs that this is like extract uh, extractive um, summarization, where you could just say I want to keep or not this word in my input sequence, and you know you just treat it as a output sequence with a tagger, and you know this is all you need to do to do summarization. So this was like a really short and fast uh, set of you know things that you can do with 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 Ludwig, and then you know we can go there's distributed training that um, uh, you know uh, this was the initial what I was mentioning before the initial version only had, had limited uh, was limited to what could fit in memory, but uh, what we added right now is that using Gray and Dask we made it so that basically um, can be data can be distributed using Dask and run remotely using Ray. And you have to you know, create your Ray configuration for the, for the, um, um, for the cluster. But then uh, in Ludwig, you just have to specify uh, Ray submit cluster.yaml and the configuration in Ludwig, basically. And the data in a, like a S3 bucket or some, some, something that each machine in the, in the cluster has access to. And are you thinking of some kind of infrastructure as code component to this as well at some point, or, or is that more the commercial offering? Um, so I would say the infrastructure code, here you have the specification of the cluster itself, which is the Ray specification, not really ours, mm -hmm. but in our own, um, uh, sorry, so this is about epic parameters. In our own Ludwig configuration, you can also be more granular and say, I want to use two GPUs, three GPUs and distribute across these machines and all of that. So you have a little bit, uh, you have the control over that, um, directly i would say so you you could i'm just thinking out i just happened to be finishing a book for on aws for o'reilly <laughs> so i'm, I'm mm -hmm. thinking it's infrastructure as code a lot and um like they have cdk for example you mm -hmm. know and there's terraform there but in the idea would be that if if you checked in this configuration alongside let's say cdk right which runs in python you, mm -hmm. you, could, you could kind of you know, basically have continuous delivery of the infrastructure as well as the as the model train applying. Yeah, 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 hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, that's super fascinating and definitely doable because it's just an additional YAML file you have to provide, basically. Exactly, and the command, and the command really. Yeah. And and then we also do hyperopt as I was mentioning before. You know, parallelized using Raytune. And basically you can declaratively in the configuration specify which parameters you want to optimize, their ranges, and you know which metric you want to optimize and also which search algorithm. And you can go all the way down to like Bayesian optimization with hyperband, with big number of samples. Basically you have the full flexibility just for the configuration, no line of code. You don't have to write any line of code. 
And the the ray tune is that something that just is that a your own system or is that an open source? No, no, it's based on top of Ray. Yeah, so it's 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 ah. open source, and we're basically wrapping it and doing all the gluing and all the spawning of the of and collecting of the results and all of that. Um, and so the ray tune uh, gives the infrastructure for running that in parallel over multiple machines. And you have like a a range of. Um of uh, multi-gpu clusters that you've trained things on like have you have you personally or know of people that have trained on you know like i don't know 10 gpus or yeah yeah so we 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 have our own infrastructure for running our own things and you know also on hundreds uh if not in case thousands of gpus potentially really? so it helps really well to do those in particular horabot which is one of the components that we use for Distributing has been used in the you know IBM Summit supercomputer with literally thousands of GPUs and almost linear scaling. So, wow, scales really well. <laughs> and for instance, we have also integrations with some uh, technologies in the MLOps ecosystem. Like for instance, if you want to track the model on uh, weights and biases on Comet or MLflow, you just have to specify the additional thing in the command, and that's all you have to do for uh, for the model training the, and, and deployment to be tracked by those um, technologies. And also you can run uh, very easily on, on Kubernetes, uh, like just running, uh, installing Kubernetes, running on a Ray cluster, and then just create a Ludwig training.yaml and run on the Kubernetes cluster. So it's really straightforward. Cool. And then I would just wanted to quickly touch upon Predibase specifically. So we do this aspect that I was mentioning of managing uh, Ludwig uh, training and tracking and all of that and you know uh, infrastructure and provisioning machines etc um, all in Predibase and basically you have like a turnkey solution with managed plus virtual private cloud deployments of Kubernetes cluster scales on thousands of GPUs and petabytes of data you deploy models with one click and they become available for REST API and you know you can uh, there's both a Python SDK, REST endpoints, and a SQL-like language for operationalizing it. And I wanted to touch upon briefly the SQL-like language here on the right-hand side, because I think it's cool. Um, you can both create models, but in particular, you can query models by just specifying um, uh, an additional predicate on top of SQL um, that is like predict. In this case, you can say like predict conversion given and select the customers from a customer's table where something is true. And so basically we could do, um, data, let's say we're trying to bring machine learning and data in the same place so that you don't have to, you know, select some data, save it to a CSV file, upload it somewhere, produce the predictions, analyzing them manually first, give them back to the analysts and whatever. So it's all happening in one place and becomes very easy for someone who doesn't have machine learning expertise to actually use machine learning models within the analytics use cases. <laughs> 